0: We Shouldn't should talk, talk About, about This we contain graphic descriptions description and or explicit content that it may not, not be, suitable be suitable for all listeners. listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Ah, oh, Key. This ah,
1: is B. such a lovely day.
0: Beautiful day.
1: We are in a quarantine recording once again. Oh yeah. And you know what I was thinking about? What's that? How are hotels doing right now?
0: probably not so great no i mean you can't have gatherings more than three people so i don't think they're gonna (laughs) yeah i don't think they're doing so great
1: and you know what else what it's our 13th episode
0: and you know what else what hotels don't have 13 floors
1: you think what i'm thinking
0: we shouldn't talk about crimes that are committed in hotels
1: we should talk about crimes that are committed in hotels
0: i think that works I think I think it's super weird that, like, that type of superstition has lasted so long that, like, hotels do not purposely skip the 13th. Thir- they do purposely skip the 13th floor.
1: Yeah, I think that is very crazy. I do think that's crazy also.
0: Like, how superstitious do you have to be to say, okay, 12, 14, but that's technically 13th floor. It's
1: still 13th floor, yeah. Like, I don't you, care what you, you just call just it. counting it 14. You
0: can call it the salami floor. It's, it's still, still number 13. 13. Yeah. Maybe they else. should make a floor for 13 that's just completely empty, like just structural and just an empty space. And then boom, boom rooms on the next floor going up.
1: They, they should, they should, they should adapt this idea so that they don't have like, you know, when someone comes to audit them, they don't have 24 floors because there's only because they, because like the button in the elevator goes 24, but there's only 23 floors because it's skip 13. Yeah. That's an audit.
0: And then that would be a great place to store all their things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all the cleaning stuff. Yeah. Well, I have a very interesting case for this. Do you?
0: I do. Like, this case is, it's crazy.
1: Well, let us hear about it. We shouldn't talk about crimes committed in hotels.
0: Oh, am I going first this time?
1: You're going first this time.
0: Oh, well, I guess uh, me bumming him out on the last episode is, like, really taking the wind out of his sails on going first.
1: Yeah, because, like, we gotta we got say our, our starter line.
0: Oh, gather around, children. It's time for a tale of crime.
1: Gather around, children. It's time for a tale of crime.
0: So, my hotel that has been a hotbed of crazy is the Hotel Cecil. Hmm. Have you ever heard of it? Maybe. Okay. Well, it you may know it by its current name because it still exists. And we'll get to that. Well, actually, no. I'll go ahead and tell you. It's called Stay on Main Hotel. Like, so, they, they've really tried to distance themselves from all the goings-on that has happened under the name uh, Cecil Hotel or Hotel Cecil. And... I'll say. I'll get to my story now. Okay. In the heart of downtown Los Angeles, California, on South Main, nestled unassumingly between 6th Street and 7th Street, lies one of the most infinite, infamous buildings in the USA, the Cecil Hotel. Now, the Cecil was built in 1924 by a hotelier, William Banks Hanner. It was supposed to be a destination hotel for international businessmen and social elites. Hannah spent $1 million in 1924 now. Whoa. $1 million on a 700 room Beaux bow-art-style hotel complete with a marble lobby, stained glass windows, palm trees, and an opulent staircase.
1: First of all, that's insane. That is. Second of all, do you know how much money that is nowadays?
0: Ten trillion dollars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's only fourteen point eight million, but still. That's a lot. That's still a big jump.
0: That is. That's a lot for nineteen twenty four. That's
1: this guy. This guy.
0: That's where like, all the money in the world combined yeah, put into this hotel. Who, who
1: is this person? He's like a king or something. A
0: hotelier.
1: A hotelier.
0: So, just two years after the Cecil opened. The world was thrown into the Great Depression. Mm. And soon enough, the surrounding area or the area surrounding the Cecil Hotel would be dubbed Skid Row.
1: That's a bruh moment if I ever heard one. A what? A bruh moment. A
0: bruh moment, right? Like, you you could imagine. He, he just dumped all the world's money into making this 700-room, 19-floor hotel. Hmm. And two years later, the economy crashes and nobody, nobody no. so, and if you look on maps, like, today, it says Skid Row, like, on maps, like, so this is, like, legitimately what they call it still, so the Cecil became known as a budget hotel. And that attracted displaced people. Like Skid Row became home to like thousands of homeless people in Los Angeles. And so prostitution, drugs, all of that, like that was going on around the Cecil. Now, some would say that the Cecil Hotel was doomed from the start. In the 1930s alone, the Cecil Hotel was home to at least six reported homicides. A few residents ingested poison while others shot themselves, slit their own throats, or jumped from their room windows. Oh my goodness. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of everything that's been reported happening at the Cecil Hotel. Now, some of these are crimes. Some of these are unsolved. Some of these are... They just don't even know, like, did the person jump? Were they pushed? Did they fall accidentally? Like, some of these are just flat-out mysteries. So, here we go with the history of the Cecil. November 1931. 46-year-old W.K. Norton checked in as James Willis. After getting to his room, the man took a large amount of poison pills and ended his life
1: poison pills
0: poison pills it was 1931 that's what they called them mm. he's probably like hey see give me some of them poison pills like <laughs> it's probably what he said when he went to the pharmacy <laughs> <laughs> you know they talk weird back then <laughs> like, what that,
1: would... and then their zoot suits
0: yeah why did they all have that weird accent that's weird okay
1: it's jive see
0: yeah hey see give me some of that robitussin and some poison pills <laughs> Wait, was Robitussin invented back then? I don't know. Okay, roughly a year later, on September 17th, 1932, 25-year-old Benjamin Dudick checked into the hotel, concealing a gun in his belongings. When a, main, a maid went to clean his room, Dudick was found dead of what was deemed to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. No one heard that? Apparently not. Now, maybe, the, you know, it's a well-built hotel. I mean, he dumped a lot of money into it. Hmm. You know, the button, the main floor was marble, so... Oh, my gosh. You know, it was probably, you know, soundproof-ish. Okay, so, in 1934... Army Sergeant Louis D. Borden slashed his throat with a razor and left behind a series of suicide notes which detailed his poor health as the main reason for his choice to end his life.
1: That's a tough way to go.
0: Right. I, I just can't even see doing that to yourself. Because
1: like, the way it's depicted in movies, like you're gasping for air. While and you have happening. to apply
0: a lot of pressure to cut deep enough to, yeah. to really... Ugh. I don't I don't know if that one was really self-inflicted. I don't know. Question mark on that one. Mm-hmm. In 1937, Grace E. Margo became the first of many people to fall to her death from one of the hotel's higher floors. As Margo plummeted from her ninth floor window, her body became tangled in the telephone wires. Now, authorities were unsure whether her death was intentional, meaning... They didn't know if she jumped, was pushed, or if she accidentally, like, fell out the window and, you know, just happened. Like, she wasn't intending to kill herself. She just fell. So, she got electrocuted? She died. I don't know if... I'm gonna guess so. It didn't say electrocution, but she got tangled up in the wires.
1: Yeah. Because, like, on a cartoon... If you fall into telephone wires, you just get like (laughs) raveled up in it, and like it breaks your fall. But in real life, I don't know how conductive telephone wires are. Back in nineteen
0: thirty-seven, so I would think think
1: they're not. Definitely way more as
0: thickly coated with rubber as they are nowadays, because birds sit on telephone wires all the time. Mm -hmm. So I would think a they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been protected like that. So if she didn't get electrocuted maybe just like she got tangled but kept falling
1: Mm. or
0: and the fall is what killed her
1: yeah Hmm.
0: so that's another one because they don't know what caused her to go out the window so that's another mystery in 1938 38 year old Roy Thompson of the Marine Corps jumped from atop the Cecil Hotel and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building yeah. That same year, 39-year-old naval officer Erwin Neblett checked into the Cecil, and similarly to W.K. Norton, he poisoned himself to death.
1: So, so what's the whole What's the whole thing about this? Is this hotel cursed?
0: That's what people say. Like they, it's a lot going on with this because we're only up to 19 well we're up to 1940 now. Oh, my heavens. In 1940, 45-year-old teacher Dorothy Seiger consumed poison at the Cecil. The Los Angeles Times described Seiger's condition as near death, but no other reports were filed about her. So there's no conclusion as to whether the poisoning actually killed her or not. So she's just put down as one of the people who were you know hurt Mm. harmed in september 1944 19 year old dorothy jean purcell now bear with me this story is a bit rough okay she awoke in the middle of the night with stomach pains while she was staying at the cecil with ben levine who was 38 she went to the bathroom so as to not disturb him and to her complete shock gave birth to a baby boy yeah, yeah. I'm... She said she had no idea she had been pregnant. I call bullshit on that. I've been pregnant. Trust me, you know. But you know what? You know what? Every pregnancy is different. Every pregnancy is different. So maybe she didn't know. I don't know. I just. Every F-
1: every pregnancy.
0: <laughs> yes. That's how unbelieving I am. Like, it just jumbled my brain. So, mistakenly thinking that her newborn was dead, Purcell threw her live baby out the window onto the roof of the building next door.
1: That is... no.
0: So, she was tried for murder. hmm But, at her trial, she was found not guilty of murder by reason of insanity and was admitted to a hospital for psychiatric treatment.
1: Dude, I feel like people get getting silenced here. I feel, like, I feel like people are getting silenced, like the teacher, like her case was closed. I think she got silenced. This one, insanity, I think she got silenced too.
0: Yeah, like this one, like I guess you know she was young. Maybe you know the baby wasn't moving around a lot, and she was like, oh no. Maybe that's why I didn't know I was pregnant because it was dead all this time, and I was like, whoop.
1: That's horrible. What about the 38-year-old man? They ask him any questions? You
0: have any? You have any? He's probably married. Now, in 1947, 35-year-old Robert Smith jumped out of a window on the Cecil's 7th floor. This one right here is crazy. Ninth, October 22nd, 1954, Helen Gurney, who was in her 50s, leapt from a 7th floor window, landing on the Cecil marquee. That's not the crazy one. But she did not survive that. Julia Moore jumped from her 8th floor window on February 11, 1962. And it was said she left behind a bus ticket from St. Louis, 59 cents, and an Illinois bank account book showing a balance of $1,800. So her jumping is kind of sketchy.
1: She was silenced. She knew something. She she walked in on something. Some
0: of these are real red flaggy, like... Some, something's going on here. Later, in October the same year, this is the crazy one, 65-year-old George Gianni was walking by the Cecil with his hands in his pockets, minding his business, out for a stroll, when he was struck by a falling woman.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Pauline Otten, 27, jumped from her ninth-floor window after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Now, before you even go there, Dewey had left the room prior to Otten's jump. According to him, the police accepted that. And her fall killed both her and Gianni instantly. Now, the police initially thought the two had committed suicide together, But reconsidered when they found Gianni was still wearing his shoes and hands in his pockets. If he had jumped, his shoes would have fallen off and his hands would not have been in his pockets.
1: Dude, I am trying to picture this. She jumped or was thrown out of her window. You know, the spouse always did it. Right. Out of her window. And she lands on this man who is walking down the street with his hands in his pocket.
0: Minding his business.
1: Minding his own business.
0: How does she... Do you you know how many things have to go exactly right for that to happen? Like, had he left his house one minute later or one minute earlier? Had he stopped to tie his shoe? Had her...
1: Had he found a penny in his pocket and like, oh, look at that.
0: Had her husband been in the room and grabbed her and maybe her dress ripped and she fell out slower, Mm -hmm. he would have already been up on the sidewalk like everything had to line up perfectly for her to fall and hit him and kill them both
1: i wonder how many cases people fall on other people and you know in my mind i was thinking like you know oh that'll break her fall but i guess like gravity is still like at max at like not maximum velocity but still at a high enough velocity I,
0: i don't i don't yeah well the ninth floor you know each well I don't even know how tall like the first floor like is. Like the lobby or whatever. Yeah. So depending on the height of the first floor, each subsequent floor is usually about 10 feet. That's the standard. Mm-hmm. So that's at least 90 feet.
1: At least 90 feet.
0: Unless the lobby is like super tall. Mm-hmm. Then who knows how many feet it is.
1: Yeah, That's crazy. So... Boy, Johnny didn't—he didn't deserve it.
0: He didn't deserve that at all.
1: He was just like—he probably just like retired yesterday.
0: Right, and was just like, wow. Like, I, I, I could D. walk down
1: the road without worrying about going to work tomorrow.
0: Right, jeez. So, Pigeon Goldie Osgood, a retired telephone operator. Her
1: name, his name, their name, Pidgey. <laughs> the,
0: it was a nickname. It was a nickname, and coming up is how she got the nickname. She's not Peggy. Pigeon. <laughs> I can read. It it explains where her nickname comes from very briefly. Okay. So, Pigeon Goldie Osgood, a retired telephone operator, was found dead in her ransacked room on June 4th, 1964. Osgood was known for protecting and feeding the pigeons at the nearby Pershing Square. It was reported that she was stabbed, strangled, and raped. Now, one suspect was found walking with blood-stained clothes nearby, but he was later cleared and the crime is still unsolved to this day. Yeah. The-
1: <laughs>
0: I feel like LAPD was really not at its peak during these times. Dude. Like. blood his clothes. Old girl falls from the window after arguing with her estranged husband. They think she committed a double suicide with some random guy. <laughs> and then her husband's like, Oh, no, I left the room. she I don't even know what happened. And they're like, Okay. This person walking around in bloody clothes. Person has been stabbed. He's oh,
1: like, oh, he's, oh, I'm a butcher. I just forgot my, clo- I didn't uh, forgot my uh, clothes. I just got my work clothes. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. Carry on, sir. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: have, a, on? have a good day, bud.
0: Now, there's also some other strange happenings, like the case of the still unidentified woman who jumped or fell or was pushed from the 12th floor in 1975. The case remains unsolved and her identity remains unknown. She checked in under like a fake name Mm -hmm. and they were never able to figure out who she really was or how she got out the window. Now, in the mid-80s, Richard Ramirez, better known as the Night Stalker, lived in a room on the top floor of the hotel during much of his killing spree where he killed 13 people. 13? 13. After killing someone, he would throw his bloody clothes into the Cecil's dumpster and walk into the hotel, either via the back door or the lobby either completely naked or only in underwear, but nobody thought it was suspicious. (sighs) Now, at this time, Ramirez was able to stay there for a mere $14 a night. And with the corpses of junkies reportedly often found in alleys nearby the hotel and sometimes even in the hallways, Ramirez's blood-soaked clothes were not a surprising find. Like apparently, they just didn't set off any alarms.
1: Dude, the hotelier was me like flipping in his grave. Like, he did not want this kind. Of Th- this was
0: not in his bootstraps. Not what he wanted. In 1991, an Australian serial killer and journalist, Jack Unterweger, also called the hotel home when he was assigned to write an article about prostitution in America. Now, he liked to strangle prostitutes with their own bras. So I'm pretty sure when somebody said, Hey, let's send someone to America write about prostitutes. He was like, Ooh, me! Me! Me, mate! Me! <laughs> what in the world? So, and because the area around the Cecil was still popular with prostitutes, Unterweger stalked these areas in search of victims. Now, he was first convicted of murder in his home country of Austria. Oh, not Australia. My bad. Wrong accent. This is more of an Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was from Austria as well. So, his home country of Austria in 1974 but was released 15 years later after convincing authorities he was reformed.
1: Oh, dang.
0: Sadly, he soon fell back into his old habits, murdering three sex workers while on assignment in Los Angeles. Unterweger was later arrested in 1992, convicted of murder, and in June of 1994 was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. See, that's those harsh American sentences. He would not have been out on the streets.
1: Stay in Austria. You could have had eight and only had to deal eight months.
0: Right, so... He, he realized what kind of mess he was in. And the night of his sentencing, he hanged himself in his cell. Oh. Now, rumor has it that he chose the Hotel Cecil because of its connection to Ramirez in the previous decade. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. He was, like, you know, inspired by the serial killer who had stayed there. So, that's where he wanted to stay. Hmm. Now... The Cecil also has some strange cold cases tied to it. The most noteworthy would be a guest of the hotel by the name of Elizabeth Short, who became known as the Black Dahlia after her 1947 murder in L.A. She reportedly stayed at her her hotel just before her mutilation, which remains unsolved. What connection her death may have to the Cecil is unknown, but what is known is that she was found on a street not far away uh, from the hotel the morning of January 15th, and her mouth was carved ear to ear and her body cut in two.
1: That's insanely disgusting.
0: Still unsolved. In 1992, September 1st, a black male adult was found deceased in an alley behind the Cecil. Authorities believe that he either fell from, jumped from, or was pushed from the the hotel's 15th floor. Mm -hmm. He was wearing blue sweatpants and a black sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt the Los Angeles County coroner's office placed his age at around 20 to 32 years and his identity has never been established and neither has the crime been solved. Hmm. So they had a, a good stretch from 1992. That was like one of the last older cases in 2011 the Cecil attempted to shake off its macabre history by rebranding itself as the stay on main hotel and hostel, a $75 per night budget hotel for tourists. So yes, it is still currently there still currently operating and people do still stay there for some weird reason.
1: Hmm.
0: Now in 2013, I remember this story because I I saw it on something like a Dateline or 48 Hours or something like that. In 2013, Canadian college student Elisa Lamb was found naked and deceased inside a water tank on the roof of the hotel three weeks after she had gone missing. She was in the water tank? In the water tank. Elisa was found after hotel guests had complained of bad water pressure and a funny taste to the water.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Residents had brushed their teeth, drank, and bathed in the water for 19 days. Oh, man. Yeah. Hours before her death, Surveillance cameras caught Lamb acting strangely in an elevator, at times appearing to yell at someone out of view, as well as attempting to hide from someone while pressing multiple elevator buttons and waving her arms erratically.
1: Hmm.
0: After the video surfaced, because I've seen this video and it is really strange, like you can Google her name and, and watch the video, it's really weird. Um, after it surfaced, many people began to believe that the rumors of the hotel being haunted might be true, because they like no other camera angle showed anybody else. Oh
1: my gosh!
0: Horror aficionados began drawing parallels between the Black Dahlia murder and Lamb's murder, pointing out that both women were in their 20s, traveling alone from LA to San Diego, last seen at the Cecil Hotel and were missing for several days before their bodies were found. Which are very thin, thin connecting strings. Super thin, like. Now, her strange behavior is thought to be the result of an episode related to her bipolar disorder, and the coroner ruled her death an accidental drowning, saying there were no drugs in her system. But, some still wonder, how could she have gotten into the roof and into the water tank in the first place. Yeah. And furthermore, how would she have closed the lid behind her? Mm. Access to the rooftop is off limits to guests and the public. The doors are locked, and only the staff possess keys and passcodes. Any attempt to force open the door should have triggered an alarm. And the rooftop tanks are difficult to access. Yeah, I was thinking that, because that's
1: the the great things, right?
0: Yeah, so you have to, like, climb up, like, far, because they're uh, really up high, yeah. so you have to, like, find a ladder to climb up to the ladder that's attached to it, and she didn't have any clothes on.
1: What in the world happened here?
0: So, her case is still open. No one knows what happened, who did it, why, nothing.
1: That's crazy. It's, especially for it to affect the water system, that is is, five. that's so, oh my gosh, that's such a evil thing. Ugh.
0: Right, and it's like, okay, if she got up there somehow, let's say the maintenance man left the door unlocked. She got up there at night, wandered around till she found a ladder, climbed up on the tank, opened it, climbed in, closed it, and laid in there and drowned? Like, Something is two plus two is not equaling four in this situation. That's crazy. So, unfortunately, that is still an open cold case. And the most recent death associated with the hotel occurred in 2015 when a 20 something year old unidentified man was found dead in front of the building. Some presumed he, too, fell to his death, although no official cause of death was determined, and it is unsolved, and he is still unidentified. Wow. Now, this Hotel Cecil, or Stay on Main, is the hotel that served as the chilling inspiration for Season 5, I believe, of American Horror Story, about... The hotel that was home to unimaginable murder and mayhem.
1: The Hotel Cortez.
0: Yes, and you can see why. Like mm-hmm. There was something about this hotel that just drove people crazy.
1: That poor hotelier had a dream to use his riches to make a nice, exotic, luxury stay place for us Americans. And what do we do?
0: And international businessmen.
1: International businessmen. And what do we do?
0: Well, he could not have predicted the Great Depression.
1: Right, that's true.
0: And so, that right there is, you know, not his fault. But, this hotel has some crazy history and I would never stay there overnight. I don't even think I would want to walk down Main Street if I went back to Los Angeles. I would not. I probably drove by this place when I was there, and like didn't even realize it because they changed the name.
1: Right, right. right.
0: Because I've heard of Hotel Cecil before. Yeah. But not stay on Maine. Like they really tried to Uh, look at their Yelp reviews. They're not good. (laughs) There's ghosts everywhere in this hotel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, this water tastes like blood.
0: Like just chains dragging the floor all night. What is going on? Like their 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 reviews are super bad. Yeah. But that's my story. That was a a long list of crimes, possible crimes, not crimes, but yeah, that has my head spinning. The whole right. thing
1: is ridiculous. They
0: should have burnt this place to the ground, mm-hmm. like way before, before 2011. 2000. Once, once they realized Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, was living there, they, that's yeah. when they should have burned it like down in the '80s, dude. Dude,
1: wasn't he just walking in and walking back in naked, like, "Hey guys, as, yeah, I'll see you later." Like they're like, "Okay, I mean,
0: the, the '80s was still a rough time, mm-hmm. so they didn't think it was weird. Maybe they thought he was just another drug addict. Yeah. He was paying his his uh fourteen bucks, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well. That was a very interesting story, Key. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. I'll be pondering these cases all night long now. But let me take you and our listeners to Amada, Iowa.
0: Never heard of it.
1: In the nineteen eighties. It's next it's near William Williamsburg. Iowa? Yeah. Never heard of it. <laughs> well, in September nineteen eighty. Miss Rose Burkett, age 22, and Roger Atkinson, age 32, were hoping to have a romantic weekend getaway when they checked into the Amada Holiday Inn near Williamsburg, Iowa.
0: What you doing? Nothing, chilling at the Holiday, holiday. Inn.
1: Shout the chingy. <laughs> but what they got was far from it. The day after they checked in, housekeeping went to clean the room but received no response from inside. Upon entering, the housekeeper saw feet peeking out from under the bed sheets and assumed the couple was asleep. But when she peered a little further, she discovered a grisly sight.
0: This nosy ass made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, wants to see some, she wants to see something freaky. She's... Like you cover your eyes, but your hands be like split open. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> mm. What she saw... Was blood splattered on the walls, the carpet, across the bed's board, headboard. The couple was laying face down on the bed with their skulls beaten in with a blunt object. Their hands and fingers showed defensive wounds as if they tried to protect their heads from the blows, which, you know, of course, broke their fingers and knuckles and everything. Yeah. No force entry was... There was no sign of force entry of the room. In fact, it looked like the couple had been entertaining because there were two chairs pulled up to the bed and evidence mm-hmm. that someone put their feet on the hotel desk.
0: Wow. about <laughs> to
1: So, let's get down to the investigation of this. In a gazelle article dated September nineteen September 18, nineteen eighty, Iowa County Medical Examiner Doctor Stacy Howell of Amana said both Burkett and Atkinson died of acute blood loss and brain injuries. Let's see, I'm reading the newspaper thing here. And so it says, Amana. Case of death has been established and case of cause of death has been established in the deaths two Saint Joseph, Missouri residents found murdered Saturday at the Amana Holiday Inn. On I-80 near Williamsburg, Dr. Stacy Howell, Iowa County Medical Examiner from Mana, told the Gazette this af- this afternoon that Rose Burkett, age 22, and Roger Atkinson, age 32, died of acute blood loss and brain injuries. He said Atkinson suffered lacerations to the scalp, skull, and brain, and that Burkett suffered lacerations to the scalp, skull, and brain in a brain contusion. Both suffered bleeding under the brain covering, Howell said. Although, so, although sources close to the investigation said earlier this week the wounds were caused by an axe-like instrument, Dr. Howell said this afternoon that we are not saying what kind of instrument caused the injuries because we do still don't know. After, after asking again if the injuries were consistent with those that would be inflicted by an axe, Howell said, that's been a common rumor, but I, do, but I don't know the particular reason why it should be, rather than some other kind of instrument. He refused to say whether the wounds were to the back or front of the head, but other sources said that the wounds were to the back of the head and to the hands, as if the victims tried to shield their heads against the attack from behind. In the meantime, Iowa County Iowa County and state law enforcement authorities have interviewed hundreds of persons in connections with the murder and asking anyone who have been driving in vicinity of the Amarna Holiday Inn on Friday night or early Saturday to report any unusual activity he may, have, he may have observed. A hitchhiker or perhaps an unusual car are among things lawmen want to hear about. So they interviewed over 400 people in Dang. the hotel. Yeah, so everyone in the hotel had an interview. And they use a polygraph test. And, you know, polygraph tests aren't the most effective Accurate. things. And the um, the prime suspect was Rose's ex-boyfriend, Danny Burton. Burkett had a restraining order against him and it told authorities that he would be responsible if anything ever happened to her. Like, she just flat out said that because, like,
0: he's crazy. So that was, like... The night they checked in, though, so he would have had to been following them.
1: Yeah, because they live in Missouri. They right. both They both live in Missouri. They, and in... They got away.
0: That through, is crazy. Took, a little,
1: took a little day trip to go to Iowa.
0: Wow.
1: So, so real quick, I'm going to tell you about Danny Burton. Danny Burton um, was Rose's boyfriend. She kicked him out of the house due to an alleged drug use. and He allegedly been stalking her in the weeks before the murder, and Burkett had found a complaint with the Andrew County uh, Sheriff's Department. in in Missouri and told them that if she ended up dead, it would be because of her ex. She's a single mother. As for being a single mother, she bought a dog for protection. She later found the dog hanging, butchered in front of her home. Sweet baby. Jesus. Yeah, they got, he got the dog.
0: He is a true piece of dingleberry hardened shit.
1: I agree. I agree. But Burton had alibi and passed the polygraph test.
0: Come on, people.
1: Mm-hmm. And 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 in our case, Burton also took a polygraph, and he passed that. But another suspect was Atkinson's um uncle Charles Hatcher, who was a serial killer who had recently escaped from a Nebraska mental health center. But he was never even brought in for questioning
0: but it was his uncle so i mean why would because he had mental health issues they just i don't know that that one felt like a leap
1: yeah yeah Because like, just because he's a serial killer doesn't mean he's gonna kill his nephew
0: i mean okay maybe not that much of a leap i totally glazed over the part that he was a serial killer
1: <laughs> yeah yeah he was a serial killer who who was who got to the same asylum he escaped from the same asylum <laughs>
0: Okay, wow. Okay, so he definitely should have been a suspect in question, given one of their raggedy polygraphs that obviously doesn't work.
1: Oh, and also, the other, strange thing, the other strange thing about the case was that in the bathroom, there was a bar of soap that was used to carve the, words, the letters T-H-I-S on the mirror. So it said this on the mirror. That's very big yes that's like that's like a YouTube comment when like when you re- when you can relate to something like this, like you know
0: maybe it stood for something like an inside not inside joke, but like the letter stood for something that the killer knew what it was meaning, and they thought it would be like you know, if you're smart enough to figure this out,
1: Tom Hanks is super.
0: Tom Hanks is super, but I don't think that's what they meant.
1: I'm gonna get so much attention. I need to let him know about Tom Hanks
0: <laughs> well that that plan failed
1: so an um in a Cedar Rapids Gazette story published Tuesday, September sixteenth nineteen eighty Iowa Division of Criminal Investigations, the dCI supervisor Tim McDonald said teletypes were being sent out of state in an effort to locate any similar crimes. He said about 400 people, including guests and holiday and employees, had already been questioned. State investigators said neither guns nor drugs were involved in the deaths. We're, we're, we're not going to give up, DCI Director Gerald she- Shehannon told the St. Saint, Saint Joe News Press on September 24th, 1980, in review about the case. In a Gazette story published the following day, Shannon said there, ha- there had there been no headway in the case, but the agents from Missouri and Illinois were assisting in the case. According to the Gazette's September twenty fifth story, agents were in Galesburg, Illinois, to investigate a similar murder committed less than three months earlier. Less than three months earlier on June twenty fifth. authorities said a hatchet-like instrument was believed to be a weapon in both cases. And then, in December twenty, on December twenty first, nineteen eighty, Gazette writer Peterson scribed about the little optimism in Eastern Iowa murder probes. In the article, Iowa County Sheriff's Superior referred to the Burkett atkinson slangs as the most perplexing in his thirty-two years of law enforcement. Johanan left the D.C.I. in nineteen eighty-three and cited the Amana hatchet slang and the disappearing of Saint Demoy register paperboy Johnny Ghosh as the two unsolved cases he would think about the most after his departure.
0: Johnny Ghosh is a good, good story. Oh yeah? Yes.
1: Shanahan was the like main guy on that, the main investigator on those. Both of them. He got two hard cases, I guess.
0: That is because Johnny Ghosh still isn't solved.
1: Those kind of things will always remain with you. Shanahan said in the Spencer Daily Report stories published in June 28, 1983. Hopefully, as time goes on, they will be solved. DCI and Burkett's close friend resurrect interest in the case. When in Iowa, DCI established a cold case unit in 2009, the Rose Burkett double, um, double homicide was amongst approximately 150 cases listed on the cold case unit's new website as those DCI hope to Solve using li- lasting advancements in dna technology
0: yeah because this was in 1980 right mm-hmm. so yeah i mean if they collected things out of the room like evidence and held it then they might get some dna that's that's smart i, li- I like when they do that like they go back to cold cases and yeah try to get dna hits
1: yeah and like um and like there, there are pictures of like the room layout and like what they well like pretty much like you know like where the bed was and like the victims and then the bathroom and all that stuff like that. They have like a a blueprint of that on the website. Um and so that's pretty much all for that's pretty much all like during that time. But um Roger had a wife. He was he was cheating on her with Rose.
0: Damn 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 Roger.
1: Yeah, so 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 like you know, it's one thing for the police to tell your wife that you're dead but other than say that like, you're dead with another woman at a Holiday Inn.
0: In such a brutal way that obviously, what, 19, 29 years later, it still hasn't been solved?
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. And um, so, anyway, um, his widow, Marcella Schatt, shares with the St. Joseph News Press, and this is 2016, information about her marriage to Atkinson and the painful yearly anniversaries and how after. 40 years, she still has hope that the case will be solved, so it's still unsolved. Dang. There's a key person that knows what happened, she says. If that key person would just step forward and give us some information, I think it could be solved. Why doesn't she just put that person on blast? Like, why doesn't she just snitch on him at this point?
0: I don't think she means, like, there's a key person that she knows. I think she means there's a key person that was there.
1: Okay. Yeah, okay, I don't okay. think she meant
0: she knew specifically who the key person was.
1: Gotcha, okay, okay. So Sheriff Robert, Sheriff Robert Reuter with the Iowa Sh- County Sheriff's Office said detectives returned to St. Joseph last month to get a full grasp on the case. They revisited witnesses and collected blood samples to compare against any new discoveries. He said evidence was sent to a lab in in the winter for an initial touch DNA test, which can be an- which can analyze skin cells left on an object. They are awaiting results. Forty years later the murder of the young couple remains unsolved. Investigators describe it as one of their most perplexing and unforgiving, unforgettable cases. They still have hope that it will be solved one day. Damn. 40 years. Well, it'll be 40 years in September, but...
0: Mm. That's crazy, because it's like nobody heard anything, or we, we're we assuming because they talked to all the other guests. Mm-hmm. But it was a big hotel. It's not like they went to some rinky-dink side of the road like you know, ten room hotel.
1: No, they went to the Holiday Inn. They were they were gonna do, they were gonna have a nice time. They were in room two hundred and sixty, which like.
0: I feel like it was her her ex. Who else? Who else would have that kind of anger? He killed a dog. And motive. You know how angry you have to be to beat two people to death.
1: Mm-hmm. Cause like because like cause like, I think with the cheer thing. Like, you know, I think, like, they went to a room, like, you know, and he was already in there, and he had, like, a weapon in his hand. Maybe he had a gun, and he was, like, get on the bed. And then he put his feet up, on, well, he had his feet up on the table, He's he said, like, get on the bed, like, face down. And they probably, like, talked to him the whole time. Then probably beat him to death, and then beat her to death, and then left.
0: Yeah. Like, I, I feel like he would have had to surprise them in order to get them both.
1: Because, like... I've heard cases before where someone passed a polygraph test, but then later on when they like investigate them again or whatever, that person is actually the the suspect, the culprit.
0: Yeah, because polygraph t- tests are notoriously unreliable. That's why they can't be used in court. Mm-hmm. Like all it measures is like your heart rate and changes of stuff like that. Like it doesn't really know. Yeah, if
1: you're telling the truth. Like a if liar. you're just a
0: really good liar. Mm-hmm. Or if you think what you did wasn't wrong, so it doesn't like affect you in a physical way. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody with that type of mindset could beat a polygraph test.
1: Yeah, and and, and he said he had an al- alibi, but I don't. Um, I didn't get any information on the alibi.
0: Now that's that's one of those kind of cold cases that I would like to know what happened. Like if if I could just have like a list of cold cases. Like, what happened? Johnny Gosh would definitely be one of them. Mm -hmm. Because that one is so weird and so strange. And I'm not even gonna get into any of the details of it, but it's so weird, that case, that it's like, what in the world happened? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's a couple cases out there that I'm like, ooh, if I just had omnipotent Powers and I could be like, okay, these are the ones I want to know what really happened. That would be one because that's it had to be the boyfriend. Who who else? Well, uh, like the or the wife? <gasps> Maybe the wife knew. You think the wife knew? <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: It'd be like the the twist all along.
0: Right, she's like somebody knows something.
1: Yeah, Just laughing to herself. Right, all the, so the while,
0: axes in her basement. <laughs>
1: Because, like, the other one was that there was a, um, there was another hatchet, like, serial killer, like, with the same M.O., well, same, like, you know, tactics in Illinois, but, um, and, like, just three months earlier, so that one, that one was still inside, too.
0: Well, was it a couple? Like, did it say? Was it a couple?
1: Nah, it just said a similar murder committed. Like the same murder, yeah. Yeah.
0: I Which mean, I, I guess that's that's like a possibility, but that just seems so unlikely that it would be those two and then nothing.
1: Or maybe, yeah, maybe like this, whoever this person is saw that news article on that I was like, if I use this weapon, i get them off my trail because they'll think it's right, this person.
0: Right, right. I definitely think it was her boyfriend or the wife.
1: You don't think it was the uncle?
0: I mean... I feel like that's a red herring. Like, he could have, but, I mean, come on. What, how would he know they were in Illinois, in Iowa? At the
1: holiday at inn? A,
0: yeah. Come on. He just escaped. He's not worried about whereabouts of one random nephew. Unless yeah, he, he just had from, a grudge. He,
1: he, he escaped in, in Nebraska. How far away is that?
0: They're not far away from each other, but, you know, it's like, he didn't care. Hmm. Unless he just had an axe to grind against that nephew. But I don't think it was that. Roger
1: no. Roger snitched on him. <laughs> yeah. Roger had to pay.
0: It it was my number one suspect is the boyfriend, the ex boyfriend. Number two suspect, the wife. Hmm. Hmm. But Marcella.
1: Marcella shot
0: Maybe like I I just don't see a woman using that type of violence though. I could see her shooting them. Mhm. But yeah, it
1: takes a lot of like force yeah. to like. Yeah. I with think after name.
0: like three hits, she would have been like so, like hysterical and mad, but like losing energy to just continuously beat him out. Should, I think you be winded. You have to be super crazy, like Eve, to do <laughs> to do something like that. She got that right. Like that anger has to fuel. The, the the power and the adrenaline.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think anyone that can harm a dog can do anything. Right. All
0: right. Well. Well. Yeah. It's
1: very, it's very, uh, very good story. You had a very good story because I knew I knew the Hotel Cortez was based on something, but I never looked up what it was based on.
0: But it. Us- it reminds me of that that uh, song, Hotel California by the Eagles. I love that song. Like if you really listen to the lyrics, it's like it it, it reminds me of maybe Pain not. And suffering? No, no, not I don't know. It's just listen to the lyrics, okay. Google them and read them. Google. Yeah, but okay. Well, even though those stories weren't terribly sad, mm-hmm. I mean, other than so much unsolved Death. mysteries, yeah. We can still end this on a a lighter note.
1: Yeah, summer's around the corner.
0: Summer is around the corner.
1: The first summer of the new decade,
0: which is kicking everybody's ass.
1: <laughs> yes. Twenty twenty
0: came out the gate, putting twenty on ten. just <laughs> We <was> just canceled,
1: <laughs> just... canceled twenty twenty at this point.
0: Like twenty twenty has been a rough ride,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're not even through March yet.
1: No, we we are humans. We will we will power through this like we power through everything
0: we will bounce back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, this, would, this would be all laugh.
0: This will, I mean, thankfully, years ago, V and I have dedicated ourselves to be apocalypse partners. hmm So if anything goes down, we're we, in it together.
1: Yeah, we know we got each other's back.
0: Yeah. Now, the rest of my nephews and nieces, I don't know what's going to happen with them. They're going to keep up. Yeah cuz we have keychains like we are official.
1: Yeah. My um uh, my, ch- my my chain broke on that, but I still have the piece though.
0: I think my piece is somewhere. Mm. I'm like 99% sure it might be in my storage, but <laughs> we know it exists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't order another one cuz they came from China.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 3 months out, 4 months out.
0: Yeah, I'm still waiting on stuff I ordered like at the end of January oh, before. Yeah, sure. This really Yeah, I'm sure. Hit the fan. So, do you have any shout-outs? Like, last couple of episodes, I've been giving a lot of shout-outs.
1: I definitely shout-out my friend Moritz, Moritz Vines. He is a, uh, he's a friend from mine from high school, and we still keep in, like, contact on Snapchat. And he is a great supporter of the show. He lets me know, like, when he lists the episodes and when he thinks about them. And, like, on Tuesdays, he's, like, waiting for a new episode. So, All right, Moritz. Really, so, I really appreciate Moritz. He's, he's awesome.
0: Shout-out to you.
1: My, my... My little bit of German that I can speak, just like you know, to because like I mean, he speaks perfect English, but like you know, I still speak German to him because he is German, just just because you know. Yeah. But he's a cool he's a cool friend of mine.
0: I want to shout out to our live studio audience, V's brother.
1: Clap <laughs> track going off.
0: Thanks for supporting this.
1: Thanks for being patient for an hour and the quiet. Yeah. Doesn't take him much, though. He's usually quiet.
0: Yeah. It's always those quiet ones you gotta watch out for. I didn't say it. (laughs) Well, I guess this is the end. I suppose so. I'm Key. And I'm V. This is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Thanks for listening. Bye.